All right. So we are continuing our four-week sermon series entitled Breaking Free. Last week, Pastor Cameron um, shared about breaking free from fear and talking about how fear really makes us sink and enslaves us, but faith is really what frees us and allows us to live the life that God has intended. And so we really thought through, in our context with our church family, what are maybe four areas that we could really look into and tackle to really help. And so fear was one of them, breaking free from a false self or false identity. Next week, we're going to look at breaking free from people's approval. And then we'll close out the series looking at breaking free from control, right? These are all things that we deal with. And I think that if we can get a little bit more of a grasp on how to kind of move away from this with the grace of Jesus, um, I think our lives would be a lot more full and fun. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn with me to Luke chapter 9. Verse 23 and 24. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. And this is what it says. And Jesus said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. So what is Jesus talking about here? Losing your life and then you'll find it? Well, today we're going to be talking about breaking free from a false sense of self and breaking free from false identities. At times, it's going to feel like a little bit of a lecture, okay? Bear with me because it's going to. Um, But I promise we will get to Jesus and we'll go out with a bang. I think many of you guys have seen YouTube videos or television documentaries highlighting animals who were raised by other types of animals and believed that it was something that it really wasn't. There was a baby pig that was abandoned and got adopted by a family. The parents or the adult decided to name the pig Dragon Lord. And she had a lot of cats around that she also adopted. And there was another baby cat that took a liking to Dragon Lord, the pig, and started grooming the pig by licking it, snuggling, purring. And lo and behold, the pig started to pick up some characteristics of this cat. And I kid you not, you can YouTube it. This pig. You know how you have baby gates? The pig can actually jump over that. Now, a pig is not meant to jump over things. But the pig learned that by observing the cats doing that day after day after day. And so one day, the family decided to move, and they moved into a new house. And they thought this was going to be a perfect time for the pig to graduate from the house and to finally go outside, roll around in the mud, and be where 
he was meant to be. So it was a nice sunny day, and they said, today's the day. So they put the pig out. Pig kind of walked around, didn't really do much. A little bit later on, the clouds started to roll in, and it started to rain and to hail. And they were looking for the pig, thinking the pig was going to be all happy, frolicking in the mud and just being a pig. But the pig was in the shed, sitting in the middle of the shed, looking outside while it was hailing and raining. They thought this was really strange because that's not what pigs usually do. And so they took the pig and brought him inside. They now had a sunroom where that's where all the cats were. And the pig just livened. The pig actually, other than snorting, began to purr like all the other cats. And so they just decided, you know what? We're just going to keep this an indoor pig. And that's what the pig did lived inside. The pig believed that he was a cat. Now, as some of you guys are listening, your heartstrings are pulled either two ways, depending on where you're at emotionally in life right now, depending on your story, right? Now, the pig, it needed to survive. So this, for some of us, this could be really a story about adaptation, a story about really making it through life despite the circumstances that surrounded you. And you're like, yes, if that pig wants to be a cat. Who are we to say anything other? There's some of you that are listening and saying, this is straight up ridiculous. Forget the sentiments and the feelings about this. The pig is not a cat. The pig is a pig. And so what the pig needs is other pigs around so that he can learn how to become who he was always intended to be. Which one are you? Are you the ones like, no, don't tell him. Let him be. Let him live out what he feels. Others, no, you got to confront him with the truth so that he can really live out all that he was called to be. Think about it. Which one pulls at you? And hang on to that thought, because that thought, or whatever direction you go, is going to reveal where your identity has been formed from. What is identity? Everyone has it. What is identity? Identity basically can be summed up as this. It's who a person is. It's God's design. It's the core makeup of you. I was once asked this question by a mentor, Kevin, who are you? Who are you? If I were to ask this question to you guys, who are you? How would you answer? Immediately, I answered, well, uh, I'm a pastor, I'm a husband, Korean American, I'm a dad. And then my mentor asked me, 
if those things were taken away from you, would you still define yourself as those things? I said, no. Then he goes, that's not who you are. I was like, crap. Then who am I? Who are you? Oftentimes we define who we are based on the things that we do. This is where you will get in trouble. Who you are is based on how God has designed you and what God says about you. Now, a lot of times people don't know that. They don't know their own unique design and they don't know what God says and believes about them. And therefore, they listen to all these other voices to say, this is who you are. So who are you? If you are a pig and you're living as a cat, will you be happy? Yes, you will be happy. But are you living to your fullest potential in your design? No. Therefore, you're still enslaved. You're not free. So would you all like to know how to be pigs today or how to be yourself as God created? I think you all do. So answering the question, who am I, is vital to living an honorable, free, God-centered life. So we're going to talk about how are identities formed? How is your identity formed? Okay, follow with me. Identities are primarily formed based upon your culture. Okay? It's based, you're either growing up in a traditionalist culture or you're growing up in a more modern culture. Now follow with me. In a traditionalist culture, a person will sacrifice individual feelings and desires for the greater good. Family, country, and religion, right? If you look at Middle East countries, they are primarily traditionalist. So they will do crazy things in the name of honoring their religion and their country at the expense of suppressing individual desires and feelings. Modernist culture, which is America, is all about feelings, desires, and exploration. So the way that you find identity is by going inward. What feels right to me? The traditional, your identity is formed externally by what your family, by what your country says. Modernist, your identity is formed by what you feel and what you desire and want. The traditionalist identity oftentimes is marked by things like sacrifice, loyalty, honor, and shame. Many who have been raised in America don't understand the concept of shame. If you're raised in more traditional family, you understand shame because shame is something that's external, that's imposed on you. 
like what your whole community says about you. Most Americans say, I don't give a rip about what people think. It's what I think, right? And so modern identities are marked by a sense of freedom, uh, exploration, and flakiness. Because it's all about feelings. It can come one day, it can go in the next day. Give you an example of this, a couple examples. In the 1970s, there was a Korean president by the name of President Park. There was a failed assassination attempt on him, and in 1974, his wife got killed. Not too long after that, whether it was hours or days, he got in front of Korea and addressed them. You know how he addressed them? With not a single emotion, not a single tear, nothing that exposed how he was feeling. It was all about the good of the country, about Korea. Which would, would you say he was, a traditionalist or modernist? Traditionalist, all about the country. Now, today, if that same president came and his wife was just assassinated, and three hours later he's on all the major networks addressing issues in America, and he doesn't even shed a tear, show any levels of emotions or feeling on TV, you know what we would say? He needs therapy. You know why? Because identities are formed based on your culture, either traditionalist or modernist. Which one are you? In the movie Titanic with Leonardo DiCaprio, I'm sure many of you guys have watched that. Here was a traditionalist situation, but the producers turned it into something very modern. If you didn't know, the vast majority of people that were on the Titanic left their homeland to come to New York for a better life. They were immigrants that said, we need to get away from this hardship and search for the new life. What did they, they left family, they left country, they left everything. They were traditionalists. But when you watch the Titanic, Leonardo DiCaprio, what was it all about? It's all about love. It's about feelings. And that was not the intention. And we see that there's been a great shift. Have you seen the movie Good Will Hunting? Perfect example of where the shift happens. Will, a troubled Bostonian, he's a traditionalist. He's all about family, i.e. his friends. Remember what he does? He dumps that Harvard girl, right? So that he could be with his boys. But after much therapy with Robin Williams, what happens? He moves from a traditionalist into a modernist. And for many of us, that resonated with us. We felt free. You're not really free. You're just moving from one idol to another idol. One form of enslavement to another form of enslavement. Because once again, culture is defining who you are, not really God. And so remember, finally, he was able to leave his friends, and what did he do? He pursued his love of his life, his feelings and his desires. Traditionalist moved into a modernist. You guys checking with what I'm saying? In my family, in my marriage, I just made this discovery with Candace yesterday. I'm a modernist and Candace is a traditionalist. When you have two people who have different views, it's always harmony and peace and bliss. <laughs> it has to. 
because opposites attract, right? <laughs> and so most of our areas of tension, I could never understand. Kenneth's like, hey, if you don't feel like doing it, I don't care. Do it, because that's what you need to do for the family. I'm like, forget sometimes the family stuff, right? What do you want to pursue? What do you feel? What are your passions? She'll just look at me like I'm crazy. And sometimes I'll look at her the same way. Why? Because our identities have been formed on different premises. So, I was watching a lecture and, prepared, and preparing for this sermon. It was by Tim Keller. He was addressing a group of business people, and it was entitled Identity, Business, and the Christian Gospel. And I ripped this off from him. He says, your personal identity is an answer to three questions. Number one, to what do I aspire to? What's the one thing I cannot live without? Or if blank was taken from me, my life would no longer feel full. To what do I aspire to? Number two, what am I worth? Your worth is determined by how you assess you are doing with your one main thing. And lastly, who gets to evaluate you? Once again, to what do I aspire? What am I worth? Who gets to evaluate you? These three things will reveal what your identity is placed in, and it will form your identity. And they go hand in hand. Another way to look at this is when Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the enemy. Satan tempts him in three different ways. These are universal things that we say we need and that we pursue in order to form identity. Number one, in the desert, Satan attacked Jesus over issues of passion, desires, and feelings. Second thing that Jesus, or Jesus was attacked over was possessions. And lastly, positions. Passions, positions, possessions. The position that you aspire to have will reveal what your identity is. The things that you spend a lot of money over reveal what your identity is, but it'll also make your identity go hand in hand. Your possessions, the things that you collect, are going to reveal where your identity is and also make your identity. So let's bring it home and let's use me as a case study. You guys ready for me to humiliate myself? Yes. All right. So for me, what's the one thing that I aspire to? And they say, if I don't have, I don't feel like life is worth living anymore. It's pastoring. It has definitely lessened its grip. It's not as strong as it was five years ago. I'm still struggling through this, but it's pastoring. Okay? If I was no longer a pastor, 
I honestly, what would I do for a living? Like, what would give me meaning and purpose? Yeah, I can make good money doing something else, but I, man, I don't care. Because remember, I'm a modernist. Everything's about my feeling, my desires. Okay? So, what am I worth? What am I worth? So, depending upon, right, how big the church is, right? Yeah, we're in a little trouble there, Kevin, right? <laughs> Number two, how effective am I in terms of affecting change in people's lives? How much do people see me as a good pastor? And lastly, who gets to determine or who gets to evaluate me? It's all these other pastors. That's their, I could care less if Jeff Bezos came and told me about my pastoring. I could care less. But if you have some other top theologian or a spiritual leader coming and saying something, it's a different case. Follow those three questions and you can see where your identity has been formed. That's my story. What about yours? Where is your identity formed? When we recognize that our identities are not just something that happens, but it's influenced by culture, and it's also influenced by these three questions. We have to come to a place where we're going to be honest with ourselves, who we are. A few years later, I was able to answer that question that my mentor asked me with confidence. Who are you? And this is how I answered. I am a very sensitive individual. This is the one thing I fought against all my life because to be sensitive meant that you weren't mature and you weren't a man. God created me sensitively. Number two, I'm intelligent. Not in taking tests, but I'm intelligent in different ways. It's who I am. I'm someone who really enjoys people. I am a child of God. If you notice, none of those things were about what I have accomplished and what I do. It's what God has uniquely called me and gifted me with. I am. I am also Ellie's dad and Elias's dad and Eliam's. I am Candace's husband. But my core identity, core identity, is that I am a child of God and I belong to him. Now, what do you do to break free from a false sense of identity? What if you've been building your identity on fame? What if you've been building your identity on family? What if you've been, what if you've been doing, you've been building your identity on success and being productive and make a difference in the world? How do you shed all those false identities? Listen, those things are not bad in themselves, but when we make them in the place of God, they become idols and they destroy our lives. If you live for your own desires as a modernist, in your own feelings, 
You're too self-centered. If you live for country and for family and for religion and for all these things out here, you're not living in your unique design and you're not being faithful to how God created you. You're just a pawn in the greater scheme of things. So if the answer is not listening to my own feelings, if the answer is not listening to what my family or to what my country has to say about me, then where is identity found? It always comes through a voice. And it comes through, what does God say? And this is, guys, in the beginning was the word, John 1. And the word was with us. The word was among us. And it dwelt with us. Do you see? God's word, its truth came. Not a concept, not a feeling, not just a spirit, but God's word came. Because what transforms us and breaks us free from false identities is an encounter with God, i.e. truth. Do you want to know why it's so hard to hear truth? Because it has the ability to cut through all the junk and get straight to your heart, and it hurts because now you have no protective layer. A personal encounter with truth. There's a Bible story that depicts this. Isaiah 6. Turn with me to Isaiah 6. Verses 1 through 7. In the, key, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And the foundations of the, uh, the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I will dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt has taken away and your sins atoned for. Isaiah, during the year King Uzziah died, when a king died, it was a pretty big deal. And in that same year, he has a vision of another king. And this king and the glory of the king outshined anything he had ever seen and experienced in life. Notice, it wasn't just a feeling. It wasn't just a vision. But it, it was an encounter with truth. Holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew, when a word is emphasized, they will repeat it. Holy, holy. Freedom, freedom. That's how they emphasized it. And usually, it's emphasized twice. It's unheard of for something to be emphasized three consecutive times. And I want you to hear this. Isaiah has an encounter with God. And notice what he doesn't come away with. 
He doesn't come away with an encounter with God's love. Which we would say that our generation primarily says. He doesn't come away primarily with an encounter with some joyful feeling. He has smacked, he has hit smack faith, you know, in, in the face with truth of who God is. When God shows up, God doesn't make much of you. You are so wonderful. You are so amazing. You can do anything that you put your mind. God doesn't do that. God shows up and it makes much of himself to the point where there is an emotional disaster. You can't contain it anymore. Have you had an encounter like that that literally unglued you? Isaiah uses the word that we never use. Woe is me. Woe is me is a word of condemnation. It's a curse word. It basically says, like, listen, I, I, I'm nothing. Like, I, I am nothing of nothing of nothing. An encounter of God will always produce a sense of because God is so grand and amazing, I am nothing. This has to happen, because this happens psychologically to all the time. If you were one of the ones to fly up and go to the space station up in space, and you get to be one of the lucky ones who get to be kind of tied in, you're in an astronaut suit, and you get to go outside and just kind of free float. Are the words that come out of your mouth and the feelings going to be, wow, I am so lucky. I am so amazing. Is it? No. Heck no. Immediately your response is going to be, oh, this is dangerous. But at the same time, this is so beautiful. Like, I don't know what to do with myself because at any minute I can be lost. But at the same time, there's something about this that feels so right when I'm surrounded by glory. Whenever we're presented with something that's bigger than us, our natural response is, that thing is awesome and I am not. So you would think that when you have an encounter with God, the same thing would happen, and it does, according to Isaiah. Next thing that happens is he starts confessing his sins, and he sheds false identity. Isaiah was a prophet. Martin Luther King Jr. was a prophet. Prophets are known for one thing, their mouth and their speaking abilities. They have crazy imaginations, right? And they can deliver in such a way that captures the human heart. Oftentimes, poets are in the same vein as prophets. He's a very eloquent, very imaginative. He's a rich man when it comes to being able to speak. And what does he say when he encounters God? He sheds the identity that I'm a pastor. He sheds his identity, I'm a man of uncleanups. He doesn't find his identity that I am a prophet of God's word. He says, I am unclean. He doesn't deny that God has gifted him. 
But when he looks at it, he says, this is unclean. This is not even worthy to be used by God. And in that place where he feels like he's absolutely floored in nothing, what does God do? Comes and burns his lips with hot coal. Every single foul bacteria, every single moral incorrectness, it was just seared and it was cinched. And when coals touch your lips, what happens? You have a new lip. It's scarred over. Your new identity is not what you're born with. Your new identity comes through what God has placed upon you. And what is he? I'm a man of unclean lips. And now he's finally getting ready to be used with his new identity. When you have a vision and an encounter with God, that's when identities are shaken. So when was the last time you guys had a vision? None of us have visions very often. But there was something a thousand, if not a million times better, more clearer, and more potent than Isaiah's vision. That if we look at, and we have visions of, it will change our life. It's the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he didn't listen to the modernist view, all about his feelings. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, his friends were like, just listen to your feelings. No. He didn't listen to what the culture said. Culture wanted to make him king. He said, no. He listened to the only voice that mattered, which was God's. And you, if you don't read scripture, you can't know his voice. Because Satan will come around masquerading as if that's God's voice. you got to know his word. And so what did he do until the very end? It wasn't a hot coal that touched Jesus' lips. You know what it was? It was a thing that you rubbed people's butts with when you wanted to wipe it. Remember, there was a sponge that was filled with vinegar. It was offered and it was placed in Jesus' lips, but he turned it away. It was our filth, literally our filth, that touched him. And what did Jesus do? He didn't listen to any voice other than his Father's. And because of that, he was able to do the Father's will and to complete the mission and the assignment that God gave over his life. That's why when he said it was finished, it was finished. You know what's finished? Redemption of your souls. You would no longer have to feel this void and emptiness because you're chasing after a false identity. You could be fulfilled because now the true identity, the one that God says, now vacates or now is now in your heart. As I say this, and as I talk about identity and how identities are formed, I hope we could take very seriously and then as we go home, we can do a lot of reflection. Apostle Peter, he had a false identity. That was, he was a religious fanatic. He said, it's all about Jesus. 
Was it really about Jesus? It was about his position of how he could use Jesus to be somebody great in Israel because he was just a commoner. It wasn't until he had an earthquake in his soul where he was flattened. Remember? He denied Jesus three times. And Jesus says, Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Remember that? It wasn't until he had an encounter with Jesus post-resurrection or post-cross that he was able to really fulfill and live into his calling. Was he broken? Yeah. Was he humbled? Yeah. Did he have a new inner strength that he never, ever, ever, ever was able to tap into? Yeah. New identity can only be formed as we pursue Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we lift up our hearts to you, and this is a hard one, God, because we believe so much about ourselves, and uh, we fight people because they don't affirm who we are. Help us to see through the clutter of all this to who we really are in Christ. Would you say in your word, if anybody is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So Father, we want to lean into that and we want to discover, Lord, the new life that you have created us in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.